Our Father, we are gathered before you, the maker of heaven and earth, whose chosen dwelling place is with the broken and contrite, to confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with our heart and soul. We have not loved you with all our mind and strength. We have not even loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, deepen our sorrow for the wrong we have done and for the good we have left undone, so that we may hate our sin with a holy hatred. But please, Father, do not leave us in sorrow. With you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. In your mercy, restore the joy of our salvation, so that we may love you with a holy love. Amen. Let's take a moment and confess our sins to him. And now hear this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
was there as our mediator on our behalf. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for this great salvation that we have in Christ. We've come here to this place today to praise you and worship you. We see your glory through the creation, but that only takes us so far, Lord. You sent us your Son, who gave his life as an atonement for our sin. We thank you and praise you for that. And in this world where there is so much sin and death and threats, Lord, we, we uh, ask you to help us not to fear. And where there is hate, we pray, Lord, that we would sow love. And we know, Lord, that that's not easy, so we really need your help. We really need your Holy Spirit in order to respond in a way that you would have us do rather than in our humanness. Lord, in this time of great division in our country, we pray, Lord, that we would be
Yeah, I've got a, a bad cable back here. Okay. And I'm trying to replace it with another bad cable. Well, that's, that's not working. <laughs> now, as long as we know what the problem is, it's halfway into the mix, right? All right. We're going to be back at First Timothy this morning. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For your kindness to us, thank you for your word and faith. Pray, Father, that it will be good and nourishing to our souls this morning. We pray that you'd be with us in the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing in your sight. My words will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Alright. The concluding sermon, hopefully, right? You all probably hoping and hoping that I'll stop talking at some point about these purposes. Um, on this passage in 1 Timothy about women and uh, being quiet and childbearing, uh, trying to help us understand these passages and how they're good for us. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how we need to be very careful uh, to remember that God makes us who we are male, female, uh, superior, inferior. The CEO of a billion-dollar corporation, the lowest janitor at the lowest place in the lowest time. God gives us those things. Uh, last night, I spent some time on Facebook. You know that great, great moral high ground that uh, just we love to spend our time on. And a friend of mine had had shared a post that was uh, a millennial, so I technically am a millennial, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's true, I can't deny it, and uh, there are a lot of problems with my generation, you all know many of the problems with my generation, but several of them would be, we're, we're pretty bitter, complaining, and we whine a lot, and we're selfish, and we don't like children or marriage. Uh, we do this by slaughtering our children through abortion. We do this by not getting married and being thinking that's like the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world. But continue to have sex in the meantime. And then have abortions for those children. And we think the world kind of owes us this big favor. And so this post was similar along those lines. And... The reality is that most of the problems of my generation are that we're discontent with where God made us and when God made us. And then we don't like it. So we just rebel all the time against every place that God has said, I put you here to do this. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. I'd rather do this. And then we're mad because it doesn't work. Um, that's true not just of my generation, that's true of all of us, right? We, we don't always like where God has put us and who God has made us. And the reality is we need to learn contentment, right? The, the scripture that I chose out of the book of 1 Timothy for us to learn and to learn together uh, is that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Godliness with so I want us to bear that in mind as we finish out this short series on 1 Timothy that God is not unaware of the difficulties of what He asks of you as women. He knows that it's difficult. He knows that it's unpleasant at times. In fact, what we're reading here in 1 Timothy, you will see, comes all the way back to the garden curse. And that this is a constant reminder that we sinned in Adam and in Eve. And that we bear the marks of those. And we're constantly under the curse as punishment from God. And that in the end, it will be for our good. And His discipline is momentary, but His delight, His joy comes in the morning when the sun returns and all is made right. And we will no longer bear the marks of the curse. So, I'm going to read again from 1 Timothy, 
I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrel. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith love and holiness and self-control. So I'm going to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. Um, and we're going to look a little bit at the curse, which is the punishment for Eve, for Adam, and for the serpent. And I'm just going to read what this punishment was. So this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts in the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's the curses. We're going to see in the book of Timothy that they're all dealt with. The curse of the serpent is dealt with in the promise given that Christ would come and strike the serpent's head. Christ did. Serpent's curse is eternal. Satan's curse is angels are kept in chains. Chains of gloomy darkness until the final coming of Jesus. And then later on in 1 Timothy, we'll deal with man's curse, which is that by the sweat of our brow, we will have to work and earn our living. And that for a man not to work, he will not eat. And that in taking care of his family, if he does not do that, he is worse than an unbeliever. And then we deal with the woman's curse here. Two things. Pain, increased pain in childbearing. And the desire to, to be for her husband, or rule over her husband, but he shall, in fact, rule over her. The, those two parts of the curse are dealt with here in this text. Um, the desire will be to rule. And God says, I, I do not permit it. I do not permit it. And the desire will be to avoid the pain of childbearing. God says, through childbearing you will be saved. The beauty of the gospel, the thing the gospel does is it moves us back knowing how we can be right with God by living as He made us to be. When Adam and Eve were created in the garden, they were given commandments. They were given the commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were also given the commandment to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To have children. To have babies. To be married together. And to have the fruit of their womb. Fill the earth. And they were commanded to have dominion over the earth and over the animals thereof. They were commanded to do this. So, in the curse, we see that the woman's curse has to do with childbearing, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth. The man's curse has to do with subduing the earth. It will no longer be easy to subdue it. And so, we get this sort of idea 
of the redemption of the Christian work ethic for men, right? We take pride in men who work by the sweat of their brow. And that's a direct quotation of Scripture in Genesis 3. That's part of the curse. And we say, rightly, I think, that when a man works with the sweat of his brow, he puts an effort actually earned for his family for the sake of the church, he actually does what God commanded him to do in the garden. And he says, I believe that one day the work will be easy again. I, I'm working in faith that one day this will all be easy. And the same needs to be true of women in the church. Saying right now is a difficult punishment to bear. But in the end, I hope, pray, the punishment will be lifted. The curse will be no more. And that the fruit of the earth will be full. The whole earth will be filled. That's really good news. Um, and so I want to deal with basically two aspects of this. When when is Paul talking about that women are remaining quiet? Is it all the time, everywhere, without exception? Or is it at specific times for specific reasons? It's the second one. Wanting me to get to the punchline early. There are lots of places in Scripture where women say and do things for lots of reasons. In fact, Timothy is the father of a non-believing Greek. His mom was a believer. Eunice. His grandmother, Lois, was a believer. And in 2 Timothy, the next letter Paul writes, he says, they gave the faith to you, Timothy. And it's able to make you wise unto salvation. But the importance of women in childbirth is beyond beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. <clears throat> and then you have instances like <clears throat> uh, Priscilla and Achilla, her husband. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Coughing, it's not contagious. Priscilla, right, instructs with her husband Achilla a man who only had the baptism of John into the, the way of Jesus. She does this in a private setting in her home. We are told over and over in different letters of the faithful women of the church who have churches in their home. We have uh, the stories of like Deborah in the book of Judges, chapter 4. We have Abigail who made up for her stupid, wicked husband Nabal. We have Jael who put the spike through Sisera's uh, head. We have lots of women in Scripture who do lots of things. One of the things that Scripture teaches us, though, is that the normal, the ordinary, what God has commanded in general, cannot be overtaken by the extraordinary examples. That ordinarily, this is the order. This is what God wants. And whenever He allows for it to be usurped, we see that it's not good in the same way. And I'm going to just turn very quickly to Judges to show this. So one of the, the most turned to passages to say that this can't possibly mean what we think it means. Is that Deborah was one of the judges of Israel. And she was. And she was a prophetess. And so she says in Judges chapter 4, to Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Aphelim, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. So she says, Hasn't God told you to do this, Barak? Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Chicken-footed man, Barak. Um, different Barak. And she said, 
I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and looked around. She's saying to him, I'll do it, because you won't. It's not good. It's not good that the glory is going to go to a woman. The glory should go to God. The glory should be coming through a man doing as God told him to do. I mean, God told Barak to do this, and Barak doesn't do it. Now think of this in the context of the church. God tells men to lead and shepherd the church. Tells us to. Commands us to. What do we do? Because we don't like to work hard. We shy away from it. We don't do it. So what is left but for Deborah to say, I'll do it. Somebody's got to do it. The church has to have somebody leading, shepherding, guiding. It's not good. And so what we need is a return to faithful men who actually do the work that God calls us to do. When we do that, we relieve the women of the church from having to do that which they shouldn't have to do. And this happens at the big scale of the church, but it happens all over the world in various scales and different ways. We all know that there are men don't work and make their wives do everything. Raise the kids, job, second job, clean the house. He sits around drinks beer all day. Those men exist. Right? Do we think good or bad of them? Right? They're clearly not doing what God has called them to do, which is to provide for their wife and family. It's not good. And is is their wife, is she suffering or not suffering in having to do Suffering. She does it, and she often does it well, but it's not without suffering. What needs to happen is her husband actually should do something. And the men of the church, we should actually do something. We may not sit on our high conscience and pretend that everything's going to be hunky dory. And in many churches today, that's exactly what needs to happen. Rise up. Do the job God's called us to do. And if you would, it would not be such a burden for women in our churches. But there is still the reality that it's difficult to be told here, I do not permit a woman to teach or to hold authority. I, she must remain quiet in all submissiveness. Why is that? Why can't um, a woman speak up? shouldn't because God has ordained that Adam was sworn first and not Eve that's the answer Paul gives in fact he doesn't just give it here he gives it again and again in scripture but I'm going to show you from 1 Corinthians 11 his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. And here is where the tables get flipped and flopped here. Whereas woman was made from man, so man is now born of a woman. And so what's going on in 1 Timothy? He says, you need to remain quiet in church because men are supposed to do that. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to shut We're supposed to teach. We're supposed to care. We're supposed to bear authority. When we bear authority, when a good man bears authority, it is not uh, the idea of pressing others down, right? We all know bosses that are like that. They just squash everybody underneath them. 
I'm the boss. I do what I want. I say what I want. You do what I tell you. And then there are those who actually bear authority the way it's supposed to be, which is to hold, to uphold, to lift up, to cherish those who are up there. We all have hopeful experiences in our lives. Bosses who don't just look at you like chat, but look at you as though you're the reason I get to do what I get to do. The shepherd cares for the sheep because he loves the sheep. Man loves his wife because she is his wife and she is precious. This is what the men of the church are supposed to do. They're supposed to hold up the church, to put the church on their shoulders and carry it. We all know this from a thousand things in a thousand stories we've read. That the, the man who gets the glory is the one who carries everyone to the end, not the man who demands perfection. But the one who puts the weight on his shoulders and gets to the end. And if that's happening, if the men are doing their job, the women are free to do their job. Just to raise up children in the church. Who will then one day lead the church. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Timothy without Eunice, his mother. He does not exist. In our church, if we want the church to continue for another 200 years, you women will have to give yourselves to the raising of the generations below you. That's your duty. And if you do it, if you do it, God looks at you and says, that's precious. You are precious. I will care for you in a way that is different and those who reject my calling. The, the idea of the church being a place where women are not free to talk is not what Paul is saying. Um, we know this because in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, he says... First Corinthians chapter eleven. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it's the same as if her head was shaven. So clearly, women were talking in the church, were praying, prophesying. Then just a couple chapters later. Says this. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let the master husbands of shameful for a woman to speak in church. What's going on? Two chapters earlier, Paul, you said that it's shameful for them to prophesy with their head uncovered. But now you're saying they can't talk at all. What's going on is in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about doing the sort of work that I'm doing right now. Prophesying. Preaching is a type of prophecy. If you have a preaching that doesn't go to the heart, it's not true preaching. And prophecy the heart. When you read the prophets, it's not to know the future. It's to know what you're supposed to do now. Right? When, when the prophets came to the people of Israel, it wasn't so that we would have some great knowledge of the future. It was because they said, Woe to you, men of Israel. You are the ones who need to change. That's what a pastor does. That's what a preacher does from the pulpit. He's prophesying. He's, I'm trying to get into your conscience by the Spirit of God. I'm trying to make you see and to be changed by the Spirit of God. That's my work in the pulpit. And Paul says, when that kind of work is going on, it should be done by men. Why? 
because it is a huge responsibility. Think of how it can be abused. It is abused regularly. I can manipulate. I can make you do things that you shouldn't do. This is a many televangelists, right? This is the guy that says, send me your seed money and I'll get the blessing of God for you. This is, they're very good at manipulating emotions. They're bad at speaking to the conscience, but they can manipulate emotions. I can have that same sort of power. I can manipulate emotions. I can make you think or do things that are contrary to the Word of God and are against your conscience. My, my job is to use the gifts God has given me to stir up your conscience. Not to overrun your conscience, but to make you actually go, huh, I had not yet thought of that nor seen it in myself. And then to either repent and do, do differently or to do more of the thing you were already doing. That work is dangerous work. And it sits on the shoulders of men. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Eve took the fruit. And she bit into the fruit. And then she gave some to her husband. Who bore the responsibility of that sin? Adam and Eve. Adam. In the moment... God said, you man. And then later on, in the book of Romans, and also in 1 Corinthians 15, you see this. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sitting was not like the transgression of Adam, who is the type of the one to come. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, the power of For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. God has put a specific weight and responsibility upon men from the beginning. Adam was responsible for his wife. He was made first. She was made from him. He was supposed to protect her, and he did not. And it is in Adam that we fell, not in Eve, though she ate first. That teaches us that that still is true. So, who's more guilty? In a church that's had women pastors, women elders, who's more guilty? The women who talk or the men who didn't? The men. Men are more guilty. The men are more guilty. We bear more weight from it. Just as Eve, though she is the one who actually took the fruit and bit into it first, is in many ways less guilty than that. God has made it this way. That we should through one man fall and then through one man, Jesus Christ, be saved. And so we can't, we can't reject, there's this term, it's called federal headship. It's the idea that one man can represent us we can't reject it in Adam if we reject if we don't reject it in Jesus. They're, they're the same. We either believe that in Adam we fell and in Jesus we are saved, or we don't believe any of it. You have to be very careful to not give way to the spirit of the age, which says we're all equal, we all bear equal weights, we all have an equal responsibility in these things. We don't. Those who have power bear more guilt. Those who have responsibility bear more guilt than they do things with. And 
so, who is the most wicked man from World War II? Hitler, right? But we know the names of lots of other men, don't we? Heinz, Himmler, Mussolini, Stalin. But Hitler bears the weight of the brunt. He will be judged more harshly than his underlings. And those under them. And those under them. All the way down to the person who just didn't say anything when that Jew was taken up into that car. That person bears some responsibility for not stopping him. The SS security officer who stole that man or woman or child and put him in the car bears more responsibility. The soldiers who threw them onto the train bear more yet. The ones who put them in the gas chambers, more yet. The ones who commanded the men to put them in the gas chambers, more yet. And Hitler most of all. Why is that? Why do we believe it happens on that side, but not on the other side? On the good side. The righteous side. That you bear the weight individually and be godly. And your elders and pastors bear the weight to make sure that you're gone. This is why over and over in Scripture we're told, pastors and elders, those who desire to teach, will be great judged with a greater service. And we will give an accounting for your souls. I will one day stand before God, not just for me, but for you. That's true not just of the wicked, the greater responsibility lays on those who have authority. It is true of the righteous as well. This continues on up the chain. Right? We're part of a presbytery, right? All the men of the presbytery, which is all the ordained men, all the elders and pastors, we bear a responsibility to one another. And we will give an accounting for those men's souls. And then on up the chain, if we get big enough where we do have something like a church assembly and multiple presbyteries, we bear that weight as well. It's why when we think about what authority means and what uh, the president means, it's why we look so much to our president and to the leader of our country. Because he actually does bear a real responsibility decisions he makes, the things that he says, actually will affect us eternally. And will affect him eternally. So, this is why it is good that God has said, I do not permit him to teach for the whole authority. It does not mean it's easy to bear. It does not mean that it's something that should just be swallowed um, without any sort of thought. What it does mean is that when the curse was given to Eve, it continued on. And that when Eve was cursed, that you will des your desire will be for your husband, against your husband, and he will rule over you, and that continues. And you will have to fight against that in your whole life. That will be a sinful temptation that you will have life, just as it will be a sinful temptation for every man here to shirk from the work, to not do what he's called to do, to step back when he should step forward. I was just talking with a very good friend of mine this week, and I said to him, are you an elder at the church? Because he was, uh, there were problems at the church where he was at. He said, no. Why not? That's my response to do you actually want to bear some responsibility and be upset about the things happening in your church, or do you not? If you do, then actually bear the weight. Actually do the job. Don't sit in the back pew and whine. Bear the weight. That's going to be the temptation of men. The temptation of women is going to be the opposite. To want, want to assume and be told no. And then the second part, the the beauty of childbearing and the difficulty of childbearing. My generation has multiplied the sins of previous generations. 
we don't have time. But the feminist movements, first, second, third wave feminism, have given way to fourth wave feminism in my generation, which rejects almost everything good that could ever have come out of any part of feminism. <clears throat> Women my age don't marry because they don't want to have kids. They use abortion as a means to avoid the responsibility and the pain of childbirth. So they don't like it. They use contraception to avoid childbearing. Contraception, we're not going to get into it this morning, but until 60 or 70 years ago, it was universally condemned by the entire church worldwide, for the entire history of the church. There could be reasons to use contraception in marriage. could be legitimate uses for it. The normal is to have children. Why? Because in doing so, you say, I believe that in the pain of childbirth, curse is being lifted. I believe that even though it's painful now, it will one day be worth it. Because the church will triumph. And it will be through children who grow up in it. It's the end of the verse, right, of 1 Timothy. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. It's not the actual birth that saves them. Right? A pagan has children. Right? You can go to any tribe in the world and they're having babies and they're not Christians because they have babies. Christian woman, though, has a baby in faith. Hope. Knowing that the God who bought her will redeem her and her children. And she continues in that. She walks in that. She believes that. Even in the, the terrible, terrible pain. Not just in the instance of childbirth. But in child rearing. Y'all have raised kids. Most of you. The worst pain is not the moment of birth. It's when your children are older and you're sinning. And you're having to figure out how to deal with them. It's when you're watching them go this way instead of that way. And you're going pulling out your hair trying to wonder what in the world you're going to do. That pain is much worse than that momentary few hours. Physical pain. What happens in that moment? You continue faith and love and hope and self-control. And for us as a church, most of, the, most of you are beyond childbearing years, and so unless God grants us a whole bunch of Abraham and Sarah's... <laughs> Just joking, Sarah. <laughs> uh, that we won't have from you physical children. Raise children in this church in faith and hope and love with self-control. Give yourselves to this with faith. Say, I'm too old to have children. I will help the children of this church to grow godly. So this church and the church worldwide will continue to grow and God will make this is the point. This is the hope. We have we have for a time to patiently endure the discipline of our Father and the curse. There will be a desire within women to usurp authority. You have to put it down. There will be a desire to avoid the pain of childbirth. Put that away. For us men, we will have the desire to not want to sweat and do the work. And I don't just mean physical man labor. I mean the hard work and soul care. We will all want to avoid this. We all must say, no. I, in fact, am a Christian. One day the curse will be gone. 
The discipline of God will be lifted. And right now, I will endure it patiently. Because my God is a good father. Hopefully, we all got to the point where we thought that of our parents. That the discipline that they were administering to us was actually for our good. Now, it might have taken us uh, more than a year or two, or a decade, or a couple. But we all, hopefully, got to the point where we thought, the discipline of my parents was for my good. And now I love the fact that they did that for me. And I think God, in His kindness, does that for us in these things. That at some point, God gives us not just the, the grace to endure His discipline, but to be glad for it. To be glad that He made us a man or a woman and gave us these particular curses and sins to endure work through, to fight against, because God made us in His image. And he loves us. I don't have all the answers. I know that this is, it's a difficult subject. It's been a difficult subject for the last hundred years in America. It's more difficult with my generation even than with yours. mention the idea of women my age to women my age that perhaps perhaps maybe they should have some children and prepare yourself uh, it will be an unpleasant moment in the conversation because uh, we despise the children and God says to us no, don't despise don't run away from it. childbearing is the good work I have for doesn't mean every woman has a child of her own. It doesn't mean every, every man is a father to his own biological children. It does mean that every man and woman created in God's image is a mother and a father. Maybe not biologically, but spiritually. Absolutely. Embrace that. Be thankful that God has done that for you. What a good kindness good kindness of God to do this for us. To give us an actual family of our own to love and care that sits with us each week. What good father. And so I ask not that you are 100% on board and are completely okay with everything but that you would patiently that you would not rail against it. That questions can happen, conversations can happen, discussions can happen around this topic, but that we would be very slow to say that I will never, or that's not going to be me. Let's try our best to be godly with contentment and He has made us who we are goodness in his heart for us individually and us as a body. Let's love one another. Let's stand and pray for us. And then we'll sing our final. Father, you are good. Your name is good. We, your creation, you have made us good in your image. You have also disciplined us for our by the curse. And Father, we pray that you help us to light in your discipline. To hear what you are saying to us and to work against our own tendency, our own flesh, and to put to death those sinful tendencies in us, and God, that we would bear patiently the things you have for us. Father, help us to be good mothers and fathers here. Help us to have hearts for one another and to love one another dearly as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray most of all that your name would be exalted in our midst of our Son, Jesus Christ, when we make it this. We pray this in this good name. 568.